Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the 2022 Bay State Council of the Blind, uh, Blind uh, Spring Conference and Convention. The very first thing I want to say is some of you may not realize it, but it was I was reminded that this year, 2022, is the 50th anniversary of the Bay State Council of the Blind. Um, so that should give us pause to reflect on not just our short-term challenges, but our longer-term challenges. Also, I think uh, Chris Devon, who was present at the creation, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the organization was initially called the Blind Leadership Group. It later uh, transitioned to be becoming the Bay State Council of the Blind. So uh, this is a landmark year for the the organization. Uh, I just want to begin with a few logistics, uh, and uh, then I'll say a few words about you know where I think things stand with uh, BSCB. Uh, first off, uh, those of you who are, who are in here, you successfully got in via Zoom. We'll be using the same the same Zoom link uh, during our daytime sessions today. And tomorrow, um, we have a different link for the auction. I will resend that out as well as the uh, list of auction items uh, later today after we finish at around 4 o'clock or so. So you have that once Barbara again Black. Uh, near the, top, the of your, top of your inbox. Um, we will also be voting uh later this morning uh, we'll talk about the logistics of all of that uh a little bit later normally when we have a in-person conference convention we have a lot of logistics to talk about where's the dog relief area all those types of things when it's a zoom call i guess we don't have quite so much to talk about that said i'm going to ask uh uh tim cummings by the way tim and jeanette kutash are going to be our zoom hosts and co-hosts throughout uh, the uh, the two days. We're also being uh, broadcast on ACB Media 8. So um, if you don't happen to be around your computer or smartphone, um, to listen in via uh, Zoom with uh, the A-Lady, you can also simply listen in to ACB Media 8. But of course, you won't be able to interact uh, if you're doing that. So thanks to ACB Media for um, uh, agreeing to broadcast uh, not only the convention, but also the auction this evening. And they've been gracious enough to take over all of the hosting. So our current daytime hosts like Tim uh, can be busy being an auctioneer. Jeanette can be busy being our Vanna White of the year uh, describing uh, items. And they also can be busy bidding rather than trying to deal with raising hands and all of that type of business. Uh, Tim, I might ask you, we'll do this periodically through the day, but Tim, I might ask you to just sort of remind people on uh, when we get to uh, moments when we want to raise hands, intervene in various ways, 
how people do that on their computers and on their smartphones. To raise hand on a PC, it's Alt-Y. To raise hand on the Mac, it's Option-Y. To raise hand on on a smartphone, it's under the More option. And if you're on a regular landline phone, it's star nine. So, um, and then to mute and unmute, to mute and unmute on the PC, it's alt A. On the Mac, it's command shift A. On the app, it's uh, in the left hand corner. And from the regular landline phone it's star six thank you um i learned a little keystroke if you're a jaws user uh just the other day that uh, has helped me out a lot on sort of big meetings like this where you're constantly having alerts of people coming in and out and so on um if you hit alt windows s um that will turn off alerts so if all of that information sort of bothers you um that's a keystroke that you can use. I'm using that right now because it, it does disrupt me when I hear people coming in and out of meetings. So that's Alt Windows S. Um, that's it for logistics. Again, um, we will periodically remind folks of what those keystrokes are um, as we go through the day. David? Yes. One other thing. When people raise their hands, we will be giving them the ask to com- unmute command. Um Okay. Because we will be calling on people. Okay. Yeah. Because it is a large group, I think we will generally go by the raised hands way of uh, intervening. When it's a smaller group, you know, we often, you know, just whoever first shouts out gets a word, but um, the group's a bit bigger and we hope it's going to stay big. Uh, so I think raised hands are is the better way to go in terms of um, uh, making uh, contributions. So, Events like this really impress me by the amount of teamwork that goes into them and about, uh, you know, the way that people really come together when we have a big event and have a lot of people I'll be thanking throughout the day. But I first simply like to talk about, you know, what I see as some of our uh, major challenges and accomplish as well as some of our accomplishments going forward. And again, because it's the 50th year, you sort of think Uh, maybe a little bit bigger picture than might otherwise be the case. Uh, I think one of our our challenges going forward, it's always a challenge, is to maintain our prominence in advocacy. We have a lot of um, accomplishments, successes we can point to, uh, but remaining relevant, remaining prominent in the various advocacy forums uh, in which we operate uh, will continue to be uh, important. We'll talk a little bit later about a couple of those forums, the uh, the Rehab Council and the um, Statutory Advisory Board. Um, we've been active over uh, this last year, and we hope to be active this year in the area of accessible voting. We'll be um, having a presentation from the people at Democracy Live!, uh, this afternoon, uh, we had successes last year in a number of um, 
cities and towns such as Boston, Cambridge, Worcester, uh, a few others, um, in getting accessible voting, accessible uh, online voting, and be a big challenge to see if we can make that statewide this year. There is some legislation pending, and we may learn a bit more about that. I think it's going to be an important area to advocate in. We have uh, an ongoing concern is making sure that the uh, MCB, the Mass Commission for the Blind, has an adequate budget to carry out the types of activities that are so important to us. It's springtime, and springtime means it's budget season. So uh, members have been asked to advocate uh, for the budget, as well as some specific areas in the budget, such as uh, earmarks for social rehab funding. Uh, and that remains uh, an area where we always need to be concerned, where we can never take anything for granted. Adequate budget budgeting for the uh, talking book, Braille and talking book library at Perkins and the talking book library at Worcester. Also very important, and we're going to be having uh, resolutions on both of those topics, as well as on voting a little bit later today. Um, and a number of other uh, areas. Uh, one area where we need to do more, and this is a mea culpa on my part, and that's transportation advocacy. I said a number of months ago I was going to get active in, in getting the transportation committee up and going. Haven't done it. I'm going to start it next week. I'm going to say next week because if I don't say I'm going to start next week, then I might let it uh, slip. Transportation advocacy for, for uh, BSCB, however, has traditionally been very oriented towards the Boston area, the MBTA, and the RIDE. That will certainly continue. I'm a co-chair of the RIDE subcommittee of the Riders Transportation Access Group, RTAG. And so we are active uh, in the area of ride advocacy. Nora Nagel is our representative on the RTAG Executive Committee uh, that, is, that deals also with the more general MBTA, uh, such as the fixed route uh, system. So that's an area that we, you know, we generally keep covered. But we really want to extend things so that we're talking about transportation statewide, not just the Boston area, but also um, Worcester, Springfield, perhaps the Cape, other areas. And that's a challenge going uh, forward to identify the policy areas we want to work on, work on and getting the right people involved in, um, in pushing those agenda items. Another important ongoing area uh, relates to membership, growing our membership, diversifying our membership. And there I have to say our membership chair, Cheryl Cummings, uh, has done great work with her committee, uh, also at national level, uh, working on uh, greater diversity, greater uh, ethnic diversity, gender diversity. I think we also have a particular challenge in BSCB as well as ACB national uh, to increase our diversity in terms of generational. Um, we're a bit, a little bit, I think, a little bit too gray-haired uh, in BSCB. 
And we need to figure out ways to encourage more young people to um, take part in BSCB. Because when we're talking, you know, long term, we're 50 years old. Well, BSCB wants to be around in another 50 years. And that depends upon us getting more young people engaged, uh, getting more involved in issues that matter to younger people. And I'm not the one to say what those issues are, but it's really a question of engaging uh, younger blind and visually impaired people so that you know they can decide what those issues are and we can facilitate um, work in those areas. One area that I've always been uh, particularly interested in, engaged in myself, is in communication strategies. Um, I initiated um, uh, Baylines Express, worked on the social committee. Uh, One area that we need to think about is, uh, as we know, over the last couple of years, things have changed radically. We are, um, we've had this pandemic for a couple of years. We're hoping that we're moving to a post-pandemic world, uh, but the world world has, I think, has changed um, in great ways, and we're not going back, nor should we, to th- the way things were pre-pandemic. We're having this meeting in Zoom. We've had all of our meetings the last couple of years via Zoom. I'm hoping that the fall uh, conference will be in person, or let me put it this way, hybrid. I think we need to think of ways, and I'm glad we've got the ACB media folks uh, with us today because uh, they are our pioneers for figuring out how hybrid should work. They're going to be putting together a hybrid um, convention this summer. And we have the opportunity, I've said it a number of times in the past, but we have an opportunity that we didn't have before to become more of a statewide organization. When we had conventions, conferences, you know, for very understandable logistical reasons, they were held in the Boston area and it was primarily people from the Boston area and nearby who could attend. Uh, The pandemic and the Zoom technology has given us the opportunity to make this more of a statewide organization, but we still want to have in-person events and figuring out how to engage people in person and remotely, and doing it all at the same time, I think is uh, an area that we need to work on. That's the new world that we're coming into, and I actually think that you know it gives us opportunities that Dr. we didn't Dr. have in the past. Okay. All of this again will be dependent on teamwork, and we've done. I think, uh, uh, well, as I said, I, I always notice or you know, I'm impressed by how we all come together for events such as this, a lot of moving parts, and we need a lot of people to make things work uh, right. But we also need to broaden um, the um, broaden things so that, you know, more people take on more activities. That way we can expand the activities that we work in and we can more equitably share all of the, the different um, tasks that are in front of us. Um, Before we start, again, I I want to thank uh, a number of individuals. First, um, 
ACB Media for uh, agreeing to uh, broadcast our convention uh, today and tomorrow, as well as broadcast and host our auction this evening. And the specific individuals are uh, Cecily Laney Nipper, uh, Larry Gassman, who had to wake up very early, I may add, to be here because he's coming from California, uh, Tyson Ernst, and of course, our own Rick Morin, who uh, we know very well. Uh, they've been uh, really helpful, really responsive, and I'd like to thank them. Uh, amongst our own membership, I'd like to thank uh, our various uh, committee chairs for those uh, events that that um, uh, we need to work on during our business meeting. Brian Charlson has done a great job of putting together resolutions. Um, Nona Haroyan and the nominating committee has put together a slate of nominees, and, uh, and Nona will talk about those a little bit later. Chris Devon and his committee have uh, drafted a number of constitutional changes that we'll talk about uh, later. Kim Charlson has uh, and her committee have nominated, I think, uh, a number of uh, really great people and organizations for our, our awards. We'll talk about those this afternoon. Um, in terms of um, hosting and co-hosting, the Zoom meeting itself throughout today and tomorrow. Again, thanks to uh, to Tim Cummings and uh, Jeanette Kutash for the work they're going to do. Uh, same people, plus Brian Charlson. Thanks to them um, for the work that they'll be doing on the auction uh, later this evening. Uh, Nona Haroyan, I think, is also going to be helping out on um, uh, just... Uh, tracking down all the people who uh, bid successfully on items so that we get uh, we get our money and all of those uh, items get distributed. Um, unsung heroes, Sharon Strzokowski, sorry, Sharon, let me say that again, Sharon Strzokowski and Cindy Wentz have been manning the phones uh, for our Fillmore line. A number of people uh, had problems registering we had a little uh, CAPTCHA issue there, and they mastered the CAPTCHA, and they've helped to register a number of people uh, by phone who either were having difficulty or, or are not really comfortable uh, um, registering online. We're going to have a couple of volunteers uh, uh, later this morning if we have contested elections, and I'd like to thank them. And that is Shrita and Anshrika Srinastava. Uh, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing uh, your names, but um, uh, they will help us out in tallying uh, votes if indeed we have contested elections. Uh, that's all I would like to say for introductions right now. So again, thank you all for uh, participating. And I'm looking forward to a... Uh, a lively, active, interesting convention, as I'm sure it uh, will be. And I think we'll now go to uh, participant introductions. Uh, Tim, um, 
And Jeanette, you can sort of give the, the ground rules on how you want to handle that. Okay, Jeanette, you go for it. Uh, we wanted to do this by um, alphabetical order. Um, so that wasn't going to work, but uh, people have asked uh, to do by birthday months. So we're going to start with January. If you have a birthday in January, raise your hand and we'll give you a couple of minutes to do that. And then we'll unmute you one at a time. And remember, on your computer, it's Alt-A. On your phone, it's star six. On your iPhone, it's star nine. Uh, no, it's not. It's in the lower right-hand corner under the more. And on the Mac, it is Command-Shift-A. Can I just a quick, ask a quick little techie question? Um, sure. Can everybody be, uh, just for this part, can everybody be unmuted at once or that's not no. possible? Oh, no, <laughs> no. Uh, it's going to be work. too crazy. Um, we thought about doing that, but it there's just no way. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So first we have um, Christine Hunsinger. So I'm Chris Hunsinger from Pennsylvania. Just wanted to see another state's affiliates um, convention and conference. And you have to so say your I birthday. Did. You have to say oh, what your birthday January is. January 17th. Me and Benjamin Franklin and the late, great Betty White, etc. <laughs> I'm not telling you the year. No, no years in the are needed, just the day. <laughs> okay. Great, Christine. Um okay, let's see. Rhonda Mincy. Rhonda, yep. Rhonda, you are next. Uh Rhonda Mincy from High Park, January thirteenth. Okay. Next we have Chris Devon. All right. Uh, I'm doing this on Kathy's behalf. Her birthday is in January. And uh, January 24th, and want to say a special hello to Chris on, on the line there from Pennsylvania, our friend that we see when we go down to Pittsburgh. And I'll be back with a little history clarification when it's my turn. Okay. Uh, Larry, let's I, see. I am one of two being twins, plus my brother-in-law, plus my great-nephew. And we did a picture last year of all of us because we all now share the date of January 2nd as a birthday. Awesome. Okay. All right. It looks like that looks like it's it for January, David. February. Oh, well, I can do that. I don't, even, I don't even have to raise my hand. February 16th, two days after Valentine's Day. And we have... Hi there. <laughs> I didn't know you were February, Kim. Oh, my I'm God. I'm not. I just couldn't get unmuted in January. It took me a while. So thank you, Jeanette. Um, I'm January 25th. I'm Kim Charlson from Watertown. And the fellow behind me? That's me. I'm Brian Charlson, and I'm January 24th. And I didn't know I shared a birthday with my friend, Kathy. Happy birthday, Kathy. When, <laughs> well, okay, a little belated. Okay, Nina, you're next. 
Good morning, everyone. This is Nina Kagan from West Roxbury. My birthday is February 12th, as well as Abraham Lincoln's birthday. All right. Let's see here. Oh, my goodness. David D'Arcangelo. Yes. Good morning, everybody. It's David, and I'm from Malden, and my birthday is David Morrison. Okay. Let's see here. Oh, I know who's next here. Mr. Dresser. It's Steve Dresser uh, from Reading, and my birthday is February 20th. All right. Linda, you're next. Linda Faust. Hi, um, I'm Linda from Sudbury, Massachusetts. And I, okay, my birthday is on February 7th. Hi, this is Sandy Burgess in Springfield. My birthday is the 4th. Okay. Uh, I think we're up to March, right, David? Uh, if you say we are, I will start. David Kingsbury Stoughton, March 30th. Okay, we've got phone number ending in. Do you see that, Jeanette? Yep, phone number ending in 075. David Morrison, Watertown, February the 27th. Okay. 413 ending in uh, 671. Hi, it's Barbara Black. I'm from Northampton. When's your birthday, Barbara? March 11th. Beautiful. Thanks. Nice to be here. Nice to have you here. Aitza Rodriguez from Woburn, Massachusetts, and my birthday is March 29th. Okay, I think we're up to April. I think we are. Cindy. Cindy Wentz, I see. All right, we'll come back to you. All right. Any more April birthdays, or are we going to go to May now? We're going to May. I don't see anyone else. Okay. Anyone in May, raise your hand. Had you asked for April? Uh, oh, we I did. Done March. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, I thought we did. Oh, oh, hold on. Frank. Go ahead, Frank. This is Frank Ventura, BSCB's first vice president, and my birthday is May 26th, shared with the Duke himself, John Wayne, and Miss Stevie Nicks. <laughs> All right. All right, Diana, you're next. I'm Diana Leonard. I am formerly from Massachusetts, but now I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And my birthday is May 16th. And today is actually my retired guide dog's birthday. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, phone number. Ending in 153. Yep. Hi, Jim Murphy, May 18th from Worcester. Okay, great. Uh, Do we have any more, Jeanette, or is that it for me? I don't see. Oh, Ginger. Shirley Doris, we have. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Shirley Doris, Waltham, and my birthday is May 19th. Okay. Okay, Ginger, you're next. You're up. Uh, This is Ginger from Hadley, and my birthday is May 23rd. Great. Okay. Uh, I think we're up to June. Anybody who's got a birthday in June, raise your hand. Okay, looks like we got Ken Chernak. 
My birthday is June 13th, which the year that I was born in, it was a Thursday, not a Friday. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And I'm from Natick. Okay. Deanne, you're next. Hi, I'm Deanne Elliott, and I'm from Cambridge, and I was uh, born on Father's Day. Okay, great. I'm Myra Ross. I'm in Amherst, and my birthday is June 1st, and it's the same birthday that was assigned to Oscar the Grouch. All those Sesame Street guys really do have birth dates. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Good morning, everyone. Mika Paikala from South Boston, and my birthday is June 24th. Okay, my name is Jerry Barrier, and my greatest and only claim to fame is that I know 13 people who share the birthday with me of June 28th, and five of them are blind. Hi, (laughs) Um, this is Elizabeth Ann Johnson from Cambridge. Uh, My birthday is June 2nd. Morning, everybody. This is Jim Isaac from Worcester, and uh, my birthday is the same as Jerry Barrier's, June 28. Now I'm up to 14. Okay. Oh, do we have any more, Jeanette? I don't see any more. All right, so Good. we're up to July now. And I'll go first because I'm July and I'm unmuted. Mine is July 16. Okay, any more July birthdays? I don't see any more. Okay. Nobody's answer. All right. Um, oh, wait. Uh, hold on. Okay. Uh, Christine's iPhone asks to unmute. There you are, Christine. Go ahead. Hi, this is Christine from Norwood, and my birthday is July 7. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, so I think we're up to August. Hi, I'm Nona Haroyan. I'm from Worcester, and um, my birthday is August 16th. Okay. Howard is next. Hi, Howard Sumner, Bedford, August 11th. Well, let me go ahead. I'm Jennifer Harnish. I'm from Natick, born in August, August 16th, same as Madonna and Nona, and same as when Elvis Presley died. Hi, uh, T.C. Brazil from Boston. My birthday's August 10th. Okay. So the one person I would like you to make sure is unmuted is uh, our commissioner. I would like to welcome uh, MCB commissioner, uh, David D'Arcangelo, to the uh, meeting today. I know he's here because he told us what his birthday was a little later. Uh, Mr. Commissioner, thank you for... Uh, attending this morning. I guess you're going to give a bit of an overview of where MCB stands. And uh, there was a specific request also to talk about the uh, the blind ID. So, uh, David, welcome. Thank you, David. Thank you, all of the directors and leaders of the Bay State Council. Uh, today, I think of my friend, and I'm sure everybody's former friend, Bob Hachet, who I miss Bob. I wish he could be here. I know how active he was. So, But thanks again for extending the invitation. I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, anytime, any questions, anybody can call me. Let me give you my cell phone number. It's 781-789-4580. 
I'll say it again, 781-789-4580. Call me anytime I can be of service to you all. So, uh, so thank you again, David. I know David and I have been, along with uh, Cheryl Winton from NFB, have been having regular meetings. So I'm sure much of the information we're going to go over here today, David has already conveyed, but we can go into greater detail as well. So I do also want to thank, we've got some good MCB employees here. I think Frank and Nina, I heard. So uh, thank you all for the great work you do. I hope I didn't miss anybody else. So we've been busy at Mass Commission for the Blind. Uh, COVID obviously slowed some of the things down that we were trying to do as it slowed the world down. But now that we're starting to emerge, uh, we're, we're picking right back up where we left off. And we haven't been deterred. We've been doing uh, a lot of work behind the scenes the whole time throughout COVID anyway. So really, I'll start with the, the, the big theme here is the modernization of MCB. Really, uh, we, we're working to take paper processes and turn them into electronic processes. So whether that's our central registry process where we deal with the eye care provider community and making that all electronic now, no more faxes and paper going back and forth. That's all been made electronic. That's been a great improvement uh, and consumers should see that. Uh, but additionally, things like our APO process, if any of you are vendors out there, I know Cheryl's, Cheryl's out there. I, I don't know if she's filed an APO yet, but that's been made electronic, trying to make it easier. Uh, our communications you know, whether it be Facebook or updating our website or, you know, all of the other communication channels, social media channels, we've tried to improve those and modernize those and expand those because we've heard from our community that they consume informa our information in different ways. So we've tried that as well. Uh, and I know you want to talk about the ID. We're, we're working on that process as well. Uh, that's related to what I was just talking about with the central registry process, because really uh, making is things electronic really increases the efficiency and speed. So uh, one of the things we're doing is working with the registry of motor vehicles on what that next ID is going to look like. That's not ready yet, but we're in process on that. We hope to get to a much more robust ID because right now our identification card, I mean, it, it's really not good for too much more, you know? So one of the recommendations we make actually is trying to help people get a real ID or a state ID. Those are accepted in many more places than our ID is. Uh, but we've been working with the MBTA on our blind access card as well. So what we're hoping to do in the future is collapse all of those identification cards down into one card. So that one card for our consumers would really unlock all of the programs and services and benefits that you can get uh, by being a consumer of MCB. So if there's any specific questions there, we can take those after. But otherwise, MCB has been doing well. Uh, we've made various hires recently, particularly in our O&M department uh, and some of the regions. And so that's going well. We're, we're at or near full employment. We're actually, I've asked and gotten approved to, to exceed our FTE cap. So we're going to be adding additional people to MCB. Uh, Budget-wise, we're in the middle of the budget process. As you know, the governor offers his budget, then the House, then the Senate, then there's conference committee. 
and then they vote on it and we'll get a budget sometime over the summer, hopefully. Um, because of COVID, the budget past couple of years, that schedule has been altered somewhat. Uh, and we had the opportunity to pack some money forward that didn't get spent because everything closed because of COVID. So that's good news that we're able to use that money. So we're funded pretty well. There were a lot of amendments in the House budget. Uh, unfortunately, none of those none of those passed, but the House budget base is higher anyways. So we're optimistic that MCB is going to get uh, ample funds. It's probably going to be more funds than last year. So uh, we're trying our best to program those and get those out the door so that we don't revert money as much as possible. We don't want to re revert money. So we're trying. We're working with the stakeholder community. And our uh, staff is doing a great job of finding consumers to be able to take the services as well. So um, we're doing pretty well there, too. So uh, really, I'd be pleased to take any questions that anybody has. If you want to get into a dialogue here, of course, you, again, you can reach me anytime. You can email me, call me, whatever the case may be, and we'll get you uh, the answers you're looking for or access to the answers you're looking for. You may not always like the answer, but we're trying our best. I mean, it's been really busy times at MCB now, particularly opening back up more from COVID. More of our staff is starting to go into the community and the community is more receptive now as opposed to, uh, you know, when we were at the height of the pandemic. So that's a good thing. And thankfully, people have stayed safe for the most part and staying safe. So uh, we're hoping that COVID uh, is a thing of the past by this time next year. We're optimistic. So, but David, I don't know if you have any particular questions you want me to address. Uh, I don't have any particular questions myself. We'll, um, we can maybe have folks raise hands. I, I would just like to add one other thing. As the commissioner said, um, uh, together with the uh, Sheryl Winton, the president of NFB of Massachusetts, uh, we have quarterly uh, calls. So if you had uh, an issue, you know, maybe not like a uh, talking to the membership now, if you have an issue that you would like me to discuss with the commissioner, again, we can't really be, we're not talking about strictly, specifically individual personal type issues. Um, also, let me know about that. Our next one uh, typically is the first week quarterly of uh, every three months. So that will be whatever the first Tuesday or Wednesday is uh, in June. Yeah. And uh, there too. So if you have a question that you would like me to bring up with the commissioner, please let me know uh, a little bit prior to that. And if it seems like an appropriate thing to talk about, we'll do that because this is this is really our forum to talk to the commissioner about uh, membership issues, um, problems that uh, perhaps people are facing or suggestions for making things better. This is Rose Miller, Rosemary Miller. Good morning. Um, and good morning to everybody on the call. I just want to ask a question about the ID. I know you just stated that you would like to try to centralize the um, IDs. However, the blind ID that I have, which is one that I've used for years, are not accepted at the banks. And I don't understand that because I was told that that should be considered an ID. Um, it has a Commonwealth seal on it and it has a state, you know, mass commission on it. 
Yes. Um, why is that not accepted anymore? I mean, I use it at some banks, but not every bank will allow it. <clears throat> I'm just saying as an identification. So can you just kind of explain why that is happening? Sure, I can. Thanks, Rosemary. And I, I feel your frustration. We, too, at MCB are frustrated by that. And uh, so places are supposed to be able to take it. Right. So really what it comes down to is the enforcement of that. Uh, if we had to go around to every place that our card has denied, we wouldn't be able to get any other work done during the day because unfortunately, modern or, or fortunately, depending upon how you look at it, most modern IDs that are issued by government entities, particularly like the registry of motor vehicles, whether we like it or not as a community, the de facto identifier is a driver's license. Obviously, our consumers are not having driver's licenses. So when people encounter an ID that's not a driver's license, they, they encounter it like, well, what's this? This isn't, this isn't on my form. This isn't within the accepted IDs that I'm supposed to take. So I can't take this. I can't honor this. Now, they're supposed to, but unfortunately, they don't. And so rather than get into confrontations and things like that, what we're trying to do is make the, the future version of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind identification card up to the level of a real ID. What does that mean? The federal government, Congress, had passed a law several years ago indicating that identification cards to get on an airplane, to get into a federal building, and various other things would have to meet a certain standard. And that standard included things like multiple uh, ways to verify your ID when you're getting your ID in the first place. So that means you have to produce your birth certificate, oftentimes a social security card, other things, other official documents with your name and address on it so that you can verify your identity and your residence upon getting that ID. That's part of it. The other part of it is the actual identification card itself. New modern identification cards have what they call biometric features in them. So that's either a thumbprint or a signature or some combination thereof with holograms. And, you know, the IDs itself is, is, is hard to duplicate. You can't just fake the thing or whatever. Uh, our ID card is none of that. Our ID card is, is, you know, so when they see our ID card, they're like, well, what is this? Is this, you know, I could make this, I could, if I had a good enough printer, I could make this on their own. So on our own. So that's why we're trying to work with the registry of motor vehicles to figure out uh, a way that our car can, card can be respected, accepted and recognized by the various places that are requiring ID. So whether it's Fenway, I can't even buy a beer at Fenway Park. I went to a Red Sox game like three years ago, right before the pandemic. They would not, despite the fact that I'm bald and 50 years old, they would not give me uh, I, I, you know, a hot dog and beer because I didn't have the ID that was on their thing. So, I mean, that's, and at the time, I'm the director of the office on disability. You would think, you know what I mean? So, I, I feel your frustration. That's why we're working on it. And it's a long-term thing. It's a big lift because 
The Registry of Motor Vehicles issues somewhere between four and five million IDs a year between driver's licenses and other IDs. So our population of 24,000 is like a small thing for them. And we're asking to fundamentally change their process. So that's a dialogue. That's a, there's a lot of the behind the scenes work that we've been doing and have yet to do on that. Um, so I, does that answer your question? I know that was kind of a long winded excuse. I gave you everything now. Okay. And we're going to go to the next person, David, that is Cheryl Cummings. Yes, Cheryl. Good morning. Hi. So I suppose this is sort of a, maybe a, a future a request for involvement. Um, and maybe uh, if you could sort of, you know, consider with me. Because um, one of the issues that's really been persistent is transportation, as you know, and access to transportation using the paratransit um, system. And I'm wondering if you can envision a role for the commission in, you know, helping with the advocacy that BSCB and NFB and, and individuals have done not only to make that system more efficient, but to make it more sort of similar across the state. Yes. So one of the things we've been working on, and again, this is a behind the scenes thing, uh, there is regulation in federal law. And let me let me give you the 50,000 foot view and then bring it in specifically to, to, to what you're talking about. In federal law that says, any bus transit, any any public funding that occurs for any of these infrastructures, and again, that's the bus system, that's the commuter rail, that's the subway system, any of that, within a quarter mile of any of those places that receive federal funds must be made accessible for people with disabilities, all right? So to me, that includes then the entire regional transit system Ergo, they really should, and most of them do, but some of them don't, and some of it is education. They should honor our blind access passes. So any regional transit authority, bus, ferry, commuter rail, subway, well, you name it, should take our blind access card. One of the things we're working on, again, behind the scenes, and like a long-term project, is working to integrate the blind access card, Charlie card, that's given out through the MBTA with all of the RTAs and all of the other public transportation modes throughout Massachusetts. We're working on that. We've got some pretty good adoption now. I think it's like out of all the RTAs, like I think it's about a third of them accept that anyways. Then there's another third where it's hit or miss. And then there's another third that are like, you know, no, we need to get paid, you know, for anybody to ride it. So we're working with them. So I've been working with Secretary Tesler. Jamie Tesler is the Secretary of Transportation here in Massachusetts on that. And Laura Brelsford, who is over at the MBTA, we've been working that. Um, they've had some local challenges because they're they're the machine that they use to print the 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 Charlie cards for the blind access cards got caught up in the supply chain crisis. So they've been very limited with the amount of cards that they 
they can issue and they've been issuing temporary cards and things like that. So our team has been very active with the MBTA on that. And then further, I think I recognize some people here uh, about was I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we had a stakeholder forum with the MBTA on transportation issues. That's up. I think it's on our website and it, I think we recorded it too. But if not, we can get you the recap of that. So we've been talking about these issues. Uh, we know it's a, the challenges still exist. Uh, the good thing is I think the ride program overall, uh, which I was very pleased to be involved with piloting when I was back at the Office on Disability, uh, that's been a success. That got extended further. So now that's a regular program where people can use the Uber and Lyft to, to be able to get rides as well. Uh, we're trying to continue to make sure that that gets funded and that's available. Further, wearing my hat as a council member on the National Council on Disability, uh, I've raised this federally as well. And I've asked that people with disabilities be first on the list for when autonomous vehicles come online. Uh, so, you know, that's a future state thing as well. So, uh, you know, as soon as autonomous vehicles become available. I expect that blind people will be some of the first people to be able to benefit from those as they should be uh, to help prove the proof of concept there. So um, does that answer your question? Sure. Um, a, a little bit. I think what I was also trying to ask about is, I mean, we've got a paratransit system in the state that I feel is sort of uneven in the just sort of existence and delivery, yeah. meaning, for instance, you know, as you talked about that pilot program with Lyft and Uber, I mean, it's working here, like in the Boston area, but I think for folks out in the western part of the state, yeah. it, it hasn't even been contemplated, at least I don't think so. Um, and so the question was, really, I mean, is there a role or, or can you... It, you know, envision a role for the commission in helping like the paratransit systems across the state to offer similar types of options for, for consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, we're your advocates. So you tell us what you want us to do and we'll do that. We want to represent that and make it easier. I mean, one of the main, our mission is to help with independence and self-determination. Certainly transportation is a big part of that. So, right. uh, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's very pragmatic advice that we can give, but then there's the larger policy issues of how do you expand that? You know, we're working, uh, it's not transportation, but it's, it kind of is like information superhighway getting broadband out to Western parts of the state so that people can participate through Zoom meetings and things like that. So, I think all of these things are interconnected in terms of making sure that people with disabilities and, and blind people, our consumers, have access to opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so transportation has traditionally been a big barrier. One of the things we've seen during COVID is uh, if you can get on the Internet, you can ameliorate some of those transportation barriers, certainly not all of them, but some of them. So I think we got to just try our best. Let us know what you need. We want to solve it on a case-by-case -case basis because I really think it depends. Like, are we talking in a VR context? If it's a VR context, we'll, we'll call up employers and be like, 
How can we, we get some great candidates for you. How can you help us accommodate this person's transportation needs? You know, or if it's an SR thing, programming wise, can we work with, uh, uh, you know, council on aging to be able to get a bus to be able to support some programming? So I think that some of it is case by case. Obviously, we're always going to advocate for our consumers. But transportation in rural areas is is always been a challenge. Mm -hmm. So call us and let us know how we can help work on it for your situation. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, But before we... Uh, sorry, before we go to the next person, uh, l- let me just point out uh, on the same topic, something that I've uh, sort of found out that's uh, pretty silly around the state. Um, for all the paratransit agencies, you have to get, uh, you know, your ADA um, eligibility renewed. Uh, and um, it's all over the map in terms of how that works. First off, you know, I think we can all acknowledge blindness isn't something that tends to, uh, you know, like back pain, you get it one day and blindness goes away. It tends to be sort of permanent. So for the MBTA, uh, for the ride, uh, once every three years, you need to renew your ADA eligibility and you can do that in a five minute phone call. So that's great. By contrast, I'm, um, I'm also a client of the Brockton area transit, the the back paratransit. There, once every two years, you have to go in for uh, an interview, get your picture taken for an ID that nobody has ever asked me for. Yeah. Uh, in Worcester, you have that same thing, but it's once every five years. Uh, so it's really all over the map. You know, um, you wouldn't think it would be a real heavy lift to normalize how ADA uh, renewal is done. Again, I would advocate more along the lines of what the T is doing, you know, once every three years with a phone call than the, than the absolutely ridiculous way it's done in, uh, in Brockton. So. Sharon. Good morning. Hi, Sharon. Uh, hi, how are you? Good. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a, I was at a session on, um, the phone system and uh, improvements that we'd like to have made for it. And I just would like to ask for a brief update on what's happening with that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for that, Sharon. So uh, for those of you who don't know, just to generally describe it. So MCB, our phone system is uh, changing. And so when I joined as commissioner, we had a voice recognition system That voice recognition system served us well for many years, and it was a good system. But what happened was, uh, because it's a computer-based system, being able to recognize voice, you know, all of the quote-unquote patches, the updates for the software behind the scenes really were outdated. So, like, that system was, it was antiquated. It wasn't really able to be updated anymore. And what we were experiencing at MCB was, a high level of discontent from consumers about the system. We were getting, we were getting a lot of calls every day complaining about the system and how it didn't work well and it was messing up names and everything else. So at, at one point, we made the determination to, because again, talking to the technical people, they couldn't quote unquote fix or update that system anymore. It had been patched as much as it could be patched. And they said to us, hey, you know, we can strip the system away and go to the base system. And we said, you know what? We're getting so many complaints. Let's try that. So we tried that. And 
the level of complaints basically stayed the same about the new system, which is like, or the, the existing native system, which is essentially a touch tone dial system. So we made the determination, okay, neither of these is serving our community. Let's go seek a new modern system that's going to suit more people's needs and, and, you know, have higher customer service value there. So we've gone out on a very deliberative process involving the stakeholder community, the consumers, our staff, the union, uh, technical advisors, everybody. And we're in that process now of what's called requirements gathering, where we're going out and we're finding out what, what end users want out of the system, what our staff wants out of the system, all of the different features and things like that, that people want out of the system. So, uh, we got money. We advocated for money in the state budget. We got that. So we, the money is there to be able to do it. And now we're in the process of turning those requests and that requirements gathering into technical specifications. So we're working with an organization called Conica Minolta Business Systems, KMBS. They put together this requirements uh, statement of work that we're then working with uh, the Commonwealth's phone system, the people over at the executive office of uh, telecommunication safety and security, which is essentially the IT department for state government. We're working with them now to put this RFR together and then go out our RFR is a request for response. So it's the way we can basically go out and procure or buy this new system, find out what's available and, I think we're optimistic that sometime this summer we will be able to purchase and install a new phone system. We're hoping that that phone system is much better, obviously, for you all in our community. Uh, I tend to think it's probably going to have a combination of voice features. Uh, but again, part of the thing, part of the main reason we went out is to get the features in the system that you all want. So that's what we're going to be seeking. And then hopefully we get a better system for you all. It would be really great if you could stay around because obviously our next session is very MCB centric, you know, talking about the RC and the SAB. So sure. I, I would like to thank you for your participation. Now I, now I do have to say one thing. My, my image of you has, has really changed quite radically because I thought with, uh, you know, that Italian last name, I've always envisaged you as sort of having bushy black hair and all of that. So I um, used to, not anymore. Uh, bald guy at the Fenway Park trying to get a beer. It just it gives me a different image. But again, uh, thank uh, you. Uh, thank you very much. Yes. And, thank you, David, um, and to everybody else who helped set this up. I appreciate and, you all. Please stick around for the next session. We'll sure. have Q and A at the end, and maybe you'll maybe there too. You may be pitching in with uh, uh, answers if it makes sense for you to answer those questions. So, so thank you. I would like to ask our legislative committee, maybe soon to be called Adju uh, Advocacy Committee Chair uh, Jennifer uh, Harnish, to take the mic. Um, Jennifer is going to introduce and chair our next session. Go ahead, Jen. 
So welcome, everyone. Thank you, Commissioner, for um, sharing so many important details about all of the work that the Commission for the Blind is doing um, on behalf of blind individuals in the Commonwealth. And uh, for this session, uh, we wanted to focus on primarily on two organizations in which BSC members are uh, very involved because they've existed for Oh, quite a long time, and myself included, I knew very little about either of them until uh, they started to make more of the, the email news and the, you know, hearing from other people about them. So um, we've invited Deanne Elliott. Uh, Deanne is a uh, basic Council of the Blind member, as well as the former Advocacy Legislative Committee Director. And as the chair of the Rehabilitation Council, she'll be sharing with us what that council does and some highlights from the past couple of years. Deanne? Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jennifer, and welcome, Commissioner. It's really wonderful to have you join us today, and nice to hear your voice. Um, I'm going to give you sort of the who, what, where, when, and why of the Rehabilitation Council, not necessarily in that order. Um, and then if there are some questions afterwards, we can either take them after I speak or at the end of the, the session. Uh, what the Rehabilitation Council is, is a 21-member federally mandated board that works cooperatively with the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind to provide consumer input into the uh, delivery of rehabilitation services, uh, particularly vocational rehabilitation services, to the approximately 25,000 people in the Commonwealth who are registered and who are legally blind and who are connected with the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind. Um, why we exist is based on the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. It was amended by Congress in 1992. And one of the amendments was designed to give people who are blind and people with other disabilities a greater role in their own vocational rehabilitation. And of course, when I talk about vocational rehabilitation here, I'm talking about going out and getting jobs because we also have social rehabilitation, which is very important. But um, this is particularly focused on vocational rehabilitation. And uh, the governor of Massachusetts at the time, William Weld, issued an executive order. And so our authority comes from the uh, Rehabilitation Act, and also from Governor Weld's 1992 executive order. And we, uh, again, serve as kind of an avenue for uh, providing consumer feedback to the commission. Uh, who is involved is, uh, as I mentioned, a 21-member board. Uh, our members are appointed by the governor to serve uh, two terms of three years each, so a total of six years. And we have seats that are designed to be filled by people who can contribute particular perspectives. So, for instance, we have four representatives from the business industry and labor community. And you may wonder why we have four seats devoted to that, but it's because people who work as hiring managers in business industry and labor are the, the people who are directly involved in hiring the people that uh, the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind rehabilitates and trains. And so they have their finger on the pulse of changing trends in the, the economy and where uh, they think that there's going to be the most need for, for new workers. And they're 
viewpoints are, are really critical to that whole process. We also have a member of the State Workforce Development Board. We have the Client Assistance Program representative, a representative from the Statewide Independent Living Council, the Department of Education. Um, many, many different, different seats are represented on this board. Some of the ones that you may be more familiar with is the representative from uh, the Bay State Council of the Blind. We have two board seats that are devoted to consumer blindness consumer advocacy organizations. So there's a seat for the BSEB and we have a seat for the NFB. And currently Jerry Barrier, who is the secretary of BSCB, is filling that role. So thank you, Jerry, for your service. And if anyone has any questions about the Rehabilitation Council or any issues you'd like to bring up there, Jerry is a great contact person for you. Um, also, we have a representative from uh, the community uh, rehabilitation uh, centers and programs. And that seat is currently held by our own Jennifer Harnish, who is also serving as the legislative or advocacy chair now for the Bay State Council of the Blind. And so thank you, Jennifer, for your service. And Jennifer is also the secretary of the Rehabilitation Council, and she's a great contact person for you as well. My particular seat is uh, to be a representative of a current or former VR client. I know many of us in this room have been in that position. And I just wanted to give a shout out to a few people in BSCB who have been involved with the Rehabilitation Council over the past. And that includes Brian Charlson, Carl Richardson, um, Nora Nagel, Corey Cadlick, and Bob Hache, uh, as well as many, many other people. And I apologize, especially for folks whose terms predate my own involvement with the RC. I may uh, not have your names right at the tip of my tongue, but uh, many, many people have gotten involved with the Rehabilitation Council over the years. So I thank you all for your service. Um, when and where we meet uh, sort of varies in the before times, before COVID. We met at 600 Washington Street at the uh, headquarters for the Massachusetts, <clears throat> pardon me, the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind. And we met in the conference room there. And now since Zoom over the last two years, or since the COVID pandemic began for the last two years, we've met by Zoom. And we meet on the first Wednesday of the month in June, September, December, and March. We meet on Wednesdays between one o'clock and three o'clock. These meetings are open to the public and anyone can come. We welcome everyone's participation and involvement. And... Uh, I really hope that if you have some uh, issues or if you're just interested in finding out more about coming, you'll consider uh, zooming in. We've had several changes over the last couple of years that I wanted to update you on, things that you might be likely to hear about if you do come into one of our meetings. We've had um, kind of a large uptick in the amount of participation. As tragic as COVID has been for us from an administrative point of view, it's actually opened a lot of doors. I, I'm sure the commissioner remembers that before COVID, the meetings were always open to the public, but maybe we only had one or two people come in and and listen in and, and ask questions. But now, after after COVID, we have people zooming in from excuse me, from Western Massachusetts, from the Cape. And it's been really great to see that participation. Sometimes we've had, you know, 25 people from the public coming in, as well as people from other agencies. So we really welcome that that kind of energy and involvement. Uh, 
We also have worked to make those meetings more public, realizing that we are meeting sometimes over people's lunch breaks, but sometimes when people are working in particular, they're not able to, to zoom in. And so we've worked to get recordings uh, made available and those are posted on YouTube and they can be accessed through the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind homepage. And we have also developed with MCB's cooperation, um, something called a landing page. It's a, a page that's devoted explicitly to uh, news involving the Rehabilitation Council. It's up and running. You can go there and you can get the links to pre-recorded meetings if you missed one and would like to listen to a particular topic. Uh, you'll also find it's still very much a work in progress. We're working, we have some placeholder language there now. We're working to make that a more robust site that will have more information. But in the future, we're envisioning having information about all the different seats that are available and the seats that are occupied, as well as maybe a link to becoming a member. We'd like to have our minutes posted there and uh, things of that nature. So uh, please stay tuned. And I think you'll, you'll see that that's uh, uh, going to be a, a growing source of information. The statutory advisory board has a page like that also, and you'll be hearing from, from Kim Charlson next. Their page is very similar to ours. Administratively, we recently finished working on something called the Combined State Plan. This is a very huge report that is produced by many agencies throughout the Commonwealth, and it outlines the way in which we want for services or we envision services to be delivered over the coming two years. It's done every four years, but every two years at the in-between times, we need to go in and tweak it. And of course, since the last time we did the update, uh, COVID has happened and the MCB needed to switch and pivot very quickly to a new service delivery model. And the um, the new uh, combined state plan, we had a bunch of hearings and solicit information from the public. And that combined state plan now reflects, we hope, kind of a, a revised vision, taking into account the way that COVID has has changed the economy, changed the, the needs of the workforce. We've moved into a more remote working um, environment, which actually opens up a lot of opportunities for people who don't drive and people who would like to do work from home. And there's been a growing uh, demand for, for remote workers. So, um, we started a couple of new programs. The MCB has started working on a uh, remote self-employment program that will allow people to uh, be their own entrepreneurs and, and do some contract and purchasing work. And that's very exciting. Um, the RC continues to serve as a forum for consumer concerns. So at the start of the pandemic, you might remember that when the, the regional offices closed in Worcester and New Bedford, there were a lot of concerns that were raised about that. And so a couple of our meetings had active participation from advocates as they uh, talked to the commissioner and asked questions of the commissioner's team. And we, we value that sort of interaction and just wanted to keep people informed that we are a place where you can raise your concerns if you, if you have them about uh, specifically, again, vocational rehabilitation service delivery. If there are any questions, I'm happy to try to answer them. Let me just add one more thing, actually. Uh, we do have a number of seats that have recently been filled by the governor. We had seven or eight appointments recently. Um, we still have more seats that are vacant, and we will be actively filling them. We're working with the 
the Secretary of Health and Human Service, Services and with the governor's office to try to synchronize our membership lists because they reflect differently in different places. And so those are some of the issues that we're trying to work our way through now. Uh, and we're also trying to design a membership application that will allow us to uh, collect information and sort of streamline our process because that's that's been an issue for us over the past. And so people are kind of coming into the system from different angles, and we'd like to make that a more coherent process and uh, make make that make that work more smoothly. So if you are interested in getting involved Join in the meeting. Council, uh, please do feel free to uh, reach out. I have a folder where I'm keeping a lot of resumes of many of you who have who have uh, submitted uh, resumes and who are interested in joining. We are looking for a wide variety of representation, and in particular, we're looking for people who can fill these very specific seats and roles. And we're looking for folks who bring also some diversity. So if you are a person from outside of the Boston area, or if you are a person of color, or you represent an underrepresented community, we are um, especially interested in in hearing from you. Again, I apologize that our process right now is a little, uh, it's under development, but, but we're trending in that direction. I also wanted to give a special shout out to Bruce Howell, who was our past chair. And Bruce did a great job uh, filling this role before me. And I am continuing to learn from his example. So uh, Bruce is also a great source of knowledge for any uh, RC related questions that you might have. So thank you very much, Deanne. Uh, All those details on the Rehabilitation Council and the tremendous amount of work that you put in on a daily basis as the chair. We're very fortunate to have you in that role. Thank you. Um, We'll save questions for the end to be sure we have enough time um, for our presenters. So I'd like to introduce Kim Charlson. Kim is um, on the Statutory Advisory Board, otherwise known as the SAB. And Kim. Thank you, Jennifer. The... um so I have represented, well, I've, I have been a member of the Statutory Advisory Board, I believe, for about four to four and a half years. Um, the Statutory Advisory Board is five members. It's smaller than the RC. It is also um, a state-mandated uh, advisory board to the commissioner directly. Um, and all the members of the Statutory Advisory Board are governor-appointed members. So I serve with um, Joe Abley, who is presently the chair of of the SAB, and he is out of the country in Italy this weekend, so was not able to participate, but I was happy to step in and uh, and, um, be the presenter about the Statutory Advisory Board. Um, I I just want to um, acknowledge that when I was appointed, um, Chris Cotters, who we lost about a year ago, was the chair was the chair of the SAB, um, and so the other members that I serve with are Susan Foley, and she is from um, the let's see ICI Institute of Community Inclusion at UMass Boston. And she works in the rehabilitation research area. Um, 
I also serve with Amy Rule, who works at the um, Mass Association of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And um, Dr. Howard Purcell, who is a very new appointee, um, about two months um, to the SAB. And he is the president of the New England College of Optometry. So the requirements um, for serving on the statutory advisory board are basically individuals who have an interest and um, dedication to the blind community of the Commonwealth. So it's quite a broad scope, and I'm I'm paraphrasing the uh, legislative language, but it's um, it's very very broad. And in the past, um, many people who served on the statutory advisory boards came from the healthcare industry, optometrists and ophthalmologists. Obviously, Dr. Purcell um, represents that as well, um, being from New England College of Optometry. So that has been um, an area of of service for many people on the statutory advisory board. So our role is advisory to the commissioner directly. Um, We meet monthly and we generally meet in a, um, the, the noon to 2 PM time slot. And I can echo what Deanne said about the participation um, since COVID um, when I first came on these, the SAB, um, we never had anyone from the public attend any of our meetings. So it was a small room at MCB at 600 Washington Street that we met in. Um, since COVID and the um, use of Zoom, the participation has expanded tremendously. And on average, we have 20 to 25 people from the public that participate and listen in on the meetings. And as Deanne said, we also have um, a landing page that is evolving where um, the Zoom information is provided, where um, recordings are available of our meetings, and we're building that out more as time progresses. So an average agenda for a SAB meeting will um, include a segment where we talk with the commissioner. So there's a report from the commissioner. We, um, we get updates on spending patterns of the state dollars um, and how that's, that's all going and encumbrances and lots of accounting terminology and things like that with respect to, to budgets. Um, there's also, that's for state dollars. There's SR, as Deanne said, there's VR. And we talk about those, um, those aspects of service that MCB provides. Um, we also discuss the um, Rehabilitation Services Administration, the federal monies, and the requirements of RSA with respect to what MCB needs to, to do as far as reporting um, and also opportunities through RSA to obtain additional funding each fiscal year for specialized projects. One of those specialized projects um, that some of you may have observed was a quite successful public awareness campaign that took place um, basically about um, three or four months ago. It was quite extensive on television and radio and media 
uh, print media about what MCB is and the clients that are looking for work and just promoting um, hiring people who are blind and low vision. And especially the, the television ads were really quite successful and well done, very positive imaging and really, I think, stepped up the, um, the awareness level of MCB and what the agency does and provides. Um, we also monitor um, service delivery patterns with respect to what we call our dashboard, which is kind of monitoring new registrants for service at MCB and where they are in the pipeline, making sure that um, that we're getting applicants for service, that they're getting processed and into the service delivery area where they can get the services they need as quickly as possible, making sure those numbers look um, look like they should. Um, during COVID, of course, they they went down because people were not communicating and thinking about um, getting services or applying for services. But they're picking back up again, and we've we've watched that trend happening as we look at the monthly dashboards and discuss um, the service delivery related issues. So so that basically is is what we do and we also advocate for mcb um when issues come up you know if anyone's notified us or communicated with any of us about any kind of service issues we we serve as advocates back to the agency to make sure that that um that people get connected with the right people within the agency to help them um, get the services they need um, if there's any kind of barrier or problem that has occurred. So um, that basically is, is our role. And um, again, I, I urge people, if there's any issues that come up, um, you absolutely can communicate with Deanne, you can communicate with me, and I'll be happy to um, to investigate, reach out, talk to the appropriate people at MCB, work with the commissioner, whatever we need to do to uh, to make sure that we clear any any miscommunications or any kinds of issues like that. So that's that's a snapshot of the statutory advisory board. Thank you so much, Kim. And I can't emphasize enough to everyone that do take Kim and Deanne up on their offers of, you know, calling them, sending them a message. If you have any concerns um, in these organizations, we're often asking ourselves what is important to the community that we're uh, advocating for, representing, uh, and maybe making decisions about. So hearing from you is very important. So we have just a couple minutes left. Um, David, you are the third on the list. So if you want to go ahead and wrap up the meeting. That would be well, I want to I want to very briefly mention a topic that I doubt many of you know about because I really didn't know much about it until recently. Kim touched on this, and this is what are called reallotment projects. And um, Kim mentioned the public awareness campaign that was funded as a reallotment project. Again, these are. Uh, the funding comes from the RSA, from the federal government, uh, on an annual basis. That money, that uh, that money can fluctuate, and it can result in the funding of 
some potentially very interesting activities, interesting projects and studies. And I think there is a good amount of scope for uh, MCB, the RC, the SAB, you know, to um, communicate uh, the results of these different studies uh, a bit more. I think also there's potential scope for organizations such as our own to perhaps come up with possible ideas for such types of studies to fund. Um, you can find out about these by going on the MCB website. You can you know, search for uh, you know, Reallotment Projects 2020, 2021. I'm just going to down arrow. I, I'm just going to go down a list of just the titles of some of the projects funded over the last couple of years. Statewide needs assessments, strategies and best practices for uh, assisting blind and visually impaired youth, return on investment of VR funding. Uh, that I read and one figure sort of stuck in my mind, uh, stuck uh, uh, really stood out. Uh, apparently for, they estimated that for every dollar spent, on VR services, there's an $11 return, either uh, in uh, terms of you know future income of uh, blind people or um, tax receipts, media strategies that um, uh, Kim mentioned, even tax guides. Uh, that one I want to read, a tax guide for blind consumers and businesses, soft skills training, successful VR outcomes. What are the determinants of that? So that's a little bit of a sampling. Um, you know, one area that I could think of, just this is just off the top of my head. I'm a technology trainer at the Carroll Center. When I'm training blind people in how to use technology, I guess I, I guess I know pretty much what to do. One area where I know that I'm often at a loss is what about people, though, with multiple disabilities? What if somebody comes for training who's blind and they perhaps have a, a mild cognitive disability, memory loss? or the ADHD, I, I admit myself, uh, I often feel at a loss at, you know, how to do that type of training effectively. So that's an idea that I would have, but um, I'd encourage folks to find out more about these. I'll, I'll put uh, the links to where I found the, these studies uh, on our, um, on our announce list. And I think um, if we put our heads together, maybe we could think of some ideas for some potential future studies. For both uh, Kim and, um, and Deanne, is, is there a public um, uh, time where you take public comment uh, during your two-hour meetings? Uh, yes. In the Rehabilitation Council, we typically leave a little bit of time at the end of the agenda for public questions. So please feel free to to come in and, not, and ask not a question. Not at the then. beginning. Okay. And, um, and Kim? Um, it's the same on the agenda. It's, um, there's a segment at the end where we take public input and comment. And has there been any um, discussion about offering this uh, in the evening when um, people who work like myself uh, really can't devote two hours that many, you know, as, as often as I'd like um, to, uh, to extra meetings? During the workday, I know for our board members, many of whom are working and their employers are paying them to attend, or rather, they're you know it's sort of a, a an employee contribution as well because the uh, the employees are representing 
agencies and organizations, we meet during business hours for that reason. Um, we're hoping that the combination of having the recordings available afterwards would allow people to at least hear what's happening, although I realize that doesn't give people the opportunity to call in. So if there is a situation where you wanted to participate, um, maybe that's something we could handle on an individual basis. And I it just encourage people to reach out to me individually, I suppose. And I would just echo what, what Deanne said. Um, part of what the statutory advisory board is interested in is, and we do have reports from various staff members of MCB besides the commissioner. We hear from the deputy commissioner. We hear from regional directors. And because of that, we need to meet during the business day, but we hold our meetings from 12 p.m. noon to to 2 p.m. is the, the latest that we would ever go. But that does allow for some time um, on lunch hours, perhaps that might help. And then the recordings are also available. And um, any of the members of the statutory advisory board would certainly be more than willing to have a phone conversation with anyone who wasn't able to come to the meeting and had an issue or concern. Thank you. Thank you, Jeannie, for your questions. Thank you. And thank you, David, Kim, and Deanne. And David, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, and th- and thank you, Jennifer. And I I, uh, I second um, Jennifer's thanks to uh, Kim and and Deanne uh, for speaking today, as well as more importantly for you know all the work that you've been doing on those two uh, committees because I know how much uh, work that is. I don't know how, I don't know about it personally, but I hear uh, how much work that takes. So thank you. Um, we now proceed to what's called our business session. Um, and we're going to first have a reading, and this is just a reading of the proposed constitutional amendments. The way things work is these are simply read to us first, no discussion. In the afternoon, there will be time for discussion and um, and voting to uh, hopefully approve the proposed constitutional amendments. Same thing for resolutions. Uh, Brian Charlson, the chair of the resolutions committee this morning, will simply read the uh, resolutions. There are three of them. And then we'll have time for uh, debate and adoption in the afternoon. So without further ado, um, Chris uh, Devon, who is the chair of our constitution and bylaws committee, um, the mic goes to you. Okay, thank you, David. I uh, just wanted to explain a little bit about this. Steve pre-recorded this on uh, with me on Thursday, so he's going to play his recording if he's in his studio and ready to go. Steve uh, Dresser, and he will play that, and that'll be the two readings you will hear. We will also need to vote this afternoon to vote, and what, let me explain. We have specific timing requirements about the publicity of and, and the dissemination of these um, amendments. And we didn't meet them. So we have to, so people don't feel railroaded. We have a uh, procedure in there, which means that all we have to do before we start debate and voting on these amendments is to just say, are people willing to do that? And we, I don't know that we have to vote on that. Steve suggested we just say, is, is there any objection to continuing with this uh, debate and discussion? We would theoretically need a two thirds vote. But I don't think we need to go through that in a Zoom meeting. I think if there's no objection, and I don't think there will be because these are basically non-controversial um, things that I think people understand pretty well. 
that we would be able to just uh, have that at question asked by David uh, and then hearing no objection, giving a few seconds, hearing no objection, we will proceed to uh, discussion and debate and any anything from the floor that people want to bring up. So I think that's about all I would have to say. So there'll be the two readings, then the amendments pass on a, a two-thirds majority. And uh, if this comes up to anything that's not unanimous, and which I don't expect, and the bylaws pass on a uh, on a uh, major simple majority, so uh, that there's bylaw amendments in there too. So without any further ado, I think we're good for the playing of the uh, amendments. Good. Then um, I will start the recording. Proposed amendments to BSCB Constitution and bylaws for April 30, 2022. First section is housekeeping. Summary. Replace blind with blind or visually impaired as follows. Now, what I will do is I will mention the parentheses for the words we're highlighting in both the current amendment and the proposed amendment. Article Roman numeral two, purpose, current language. The purpose of BSCB is to serve as a democratic vehicle for collective and political action by paren blind paren persons so that we may promote the full social, economic, and cultural integration of paren blind paren persons into our respective communities, this state, and the nation. Proposed language. The purpose of BSCB is to serve as a democratic vehicle for collective and political action by paren blind or visually impaired, close paren, persons so that we may promote the full social, economic, and cultural integration of paren blind or visually impaired, close paren, persons into our respective communities, this state, and the nation. Article Roman, Roman numeral four, membership, section B, first sentence, current language, B, the majority of members of BSCB must be paren blind, close paren, proposed language, B, the majority of members of BSCB must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. Article Roman numeral five, chapters, section B, and there are a few sentences involved here. Current language, a majority of the members must be paren blind, close paren. A majority of the executive board must be paren blind, close paren. The president and vice president must be paren blind, close paren. And the proposed language is, a majority of the members must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. A majority of the executive board must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. The president and vice president must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. Article Roman numeral seven, officers and directors. Section A, second sentence, current language. A majority of board members, including the president and vice presidents, must be paren blind, close paren. Proposed language. A majority of board members, including the president and vice presidents, must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. Section B, third sentence, current language. A majority of directors must be paren blind, close paren period. Proposed language, a majority of directors must be paren blind or visually impaired, close paren. 
bylaw to standing committees. And this is about committee name changes. It's not uh, changing their duties. It's just changing their names. Summary. Paragraph one, second sentence, change legislative to advocacy and publications to communications. So current language is the standing committees of BSCB shall be as follows, constitution and bylaws, membership, resolutions, nominating, paren, legislative publications, close paren, conference and convention, transportation, finance, and resource development. Proposed language. The standing committees of BSCB shall be as follows. Constitution and bylaws, membership, resolutions, nominating, opening paren, advocacy, communications, close paren, conference and convention, transportation, finance, and resource development. Bylaw 2, Section D, summary, replace legislative with advocacy in this bylaw to reflect the revised name of the standing committee. Current language, D, the president shall appoint a legislative representative who shall act as the chairperson of the open paren legislative closed paren committee. And the proposed language would be, D, the president shall appoint a legislative representative who shall act as the chairperson of the open paren advocacy closed paren committee. And then bylaw two, section C, summary, change the number of days for appointing the nominating committee chair from 90 to 60, and change the number of days for selecting and appointing member at large from 60 to 45, and also that would be a change to the for the chapter uh, appointments that are for that committee. And so we have uh, current language. C, the president shall appoint a chairperson of the nominating committee no later than 90, 90. And we have what is done in this constitution. We always put the numbers here too. So 90, close paren, opening paren, 90, close paren, days before the date of the annual conference and convention. Each chapter shall select a representative to serve on the nominating committee no later than 60, open paren, 60, close paren, days prior to the annual conference and convention. No later than, open paren, 60, close paren, 60, days prior to the annual conference and convention, a member at large must be appointed to the nominating committee. Now, that was the current language. The proposed language is as follows. C, the president joined the meeting. Chairperson of the nominating committee, no later than 60, open paren, 60 closed paren, days before the date of the uh, conference and convention. Each chapter shall select a representative to serve on the committee no later than 45 paren. Since the first reading, I would think that basically what we were doing, and I did summarize it, that we were changing the part that it was talking about was that the, the nominating committee would be changed, the appointment of the nominating chair would be down from 90 to 60 days and the appointment of the at-large uh, member and the chapter representatives would be down from 60 to 45 days. That's what it was. I yeah. don't think there was anything else going on no, there. There wasn't. There wasn't. Okay. There wasn't. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Chris. And again, uh, this is just a reading now. Um, we'll have time to um, have a second reading as well as uh, debate, comment, ask questions.
in the afternoon. Uh, I'd like to ask our resolutions chair, Brian Charlson, uh, to speak. He's going to now read the three resolutions. And again, it will only be a reading. Uh, discussion, debate is uh, an adoption is will be in the afternoon. Hello, everyone. Uh, again, I'm Brian Charlson, chair of the resolutions committee this year, and we are proposing three different resolutions. Uh, they have been looked at by myself and by the president and others to assure that they meet what the board intended to put forward as resolution topics. I've asked Kim, who's a much faster Braille reader than am I, to read these aloud to you. And again, these are first readings, no discussion, just enough to give you some idea as to what the topics will be later on today for voting. Kim? All right. Thank you. Okay. Resolution 2022-01. Whereas the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind is the state agency charged with administering state and federally funded programs intended to assist blind and visually impaired citizens of the Commonwealth to achieve independence through employment and compensatory skills of daily living, and whereas the state funding of the community services program joined the meeting for one forty one ten one thousand, serving about ninety percent of the twenty five thousand legally blind consumers in the Commonwealth, requires an additional eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars to adequately fund. And, and fund the staffing and supplies necessary to achieve their independence. And whereas the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind contracts with several not-for-profits to provide independent living skills training, including the use of adaptive technology and associated services, all of which will require an increase in the independent living and assistive technology Earmark from eight hundred fifty thousand to one million for all qualified nonprofit providers. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled on this thirtieth day of April, twenty twenty two, that the Bay State Council of the Blind calls upon the members of the Massachusetts Senate to support these funding levels when passing the 2022-23 state budget and be it further resolved that all members of the BSCB are asked to reach out to their state senators to secure their support for this essential funding. This is reading only. Resolution 2022-02. Massachusetts Talking Book Program, whereas the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library, Watertown, and the Worcester Talking Book Library provide vital reading materials to people who are blind or have other print disabilities in Massachusetts, and whereas the Perkins and Worcester Libraries provide access to audio, Braille, and large print books and magazines newspapers by phone and online, and other accessible reading materials of local interest not available from other sources, 
And whereas the governor's FY23 budget for the Perkins and Worcester libraries proposed level funding despite increased usage and costs, and whereas the Massachusetts Board of Library Commissioners has recommended a 5% funding increase for the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library and the Worcester Talking Book Library, which would allow continuing service delivery to the existing 25,000 borrowers and increased outreach to the estimated 100,000 eligible borrowers who are not aware of the program, and whereas the Massachusetts House of Representatives FY23 budget allocates an additional 5% or $141,407, totaling an appropriation of $2,969,554 for the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library line item, and an additional 5% amounting to $24,837, resulting in a proposed appropriation of $521,569 for the Worcester Talking Book Library. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled this 30th day of April 2022 asks that the Massachusetts legislature support the funding request in the House FY23 budget as follows. Line item 7,094.06, Watertown, $2,969,554. And line item 7,094.02, Worcester, $521,569, resulting in an FY23 appropriation for the Perkins Braille and Talking Book Library of $2,969,554 and for the Worcester Talking Book Library of $521,569 to enable the two libraries in Watertown and Worcester to continue to conduct important outreach and meet the accessible reading needs of the current 25,000 patrons utilizing this specialized service in the Commonwealth. Resolution 2022-03, whereas citizens of the United States of America who follow the proper rules and procedures are guaranteed the right to vote, and whereas every municipality in the Commonwealth uses accessible voting equipment to assure that blind and otherwise disabled citizens can cast their vote privately, verifiably, and independently, and whereas the same accessible voting technology has been used reliably and dependably for several election cycles by overseas-based members of the United States Armed Forces for absentee voting, and whereas the Massachusetts Accessible Vote by Mail system used by several municipalities 
during the November 2020 election provided blind and visually impaired voters a means by which they could cast their ballots electronically. And whereas legislation has been filed in both the House and Senate that would guarantee this level of voting access to all blind or visually impaired citizens on the federal, state, and municipal level. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind at our 2022 convention that we call on all members of the Massachusetts House of Representatives and Senate as well as the governor of the Commonwealth to actively support legislation that would assure the blind and visually impaired citizens of the Commonwealth can cast their ballot at any and all elections by electronic means in a manner that would allow them to do so independently, privately, and verifiably. That concludes the reading of the three resolutions. Thank you, Kim, and also thank you, Brian, for working on preparing those. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, we will take these up in the afternoon for uh, any questions, comments, debate, and then hopefully ultimately adoption. We now move to our elections. Our Constitution uh, requires that we elect officers in even-numbered years, such as this one, and our directors, there are four of them, in odd-numbered year, odd years. And you may remember uh, we did hold elections for our directors uh, at the uh, fall conference. So it's uh, officer time. Um, I would like to ask uh, Nona Haroyan, who is the nominating committee chair, and again, I want to thank Nona for her work and her committee's work, to read the slate of uh, proposed uh, nominees that have been put together by uh, their committee. Um, I'll ask Brian afterwards to talk about the voting procedures, or if, Brian, you want me to, I can do it. We'll uh, cover that in a moment. So, uh, Nona. Okay. Thank you, David. Uh, before I uh, present the slate, I would just like to thank some members of the nominating committee. I'd like to thank Jeanette Kutesh, uh, Myra Ross, uh, Nick Claudio, uh, Chris Devin, Carl Richardson, and Brian Charlson. Um, and now the slate of candidates, officer candidates. Um, so it would be um, David Kingsbury, president, Sharon Strakowski, first vice president, Cheryl Cummings, second vice president, James Gleason, secretary, and Nick Corbett, treasurer. Thank you, Nona. Uh, Brian, would you like to talk a little bit about um, our procedures for this morning? Why don't you do it, David? Okay, so the procedures are as follows. That is uh, president first, first vice president, second vice president, secretary, and treasurer. Um, the first vice president will chair the uh, election of the president. And then once that is over, uh, I, as the president, will chair the uh, remaining um, uh, elections. So a slate of nominees has been proposed. Um, individuals, however, can nominate themselves from the floor 
or other individuals can nominate uh, other members from the floor. Uh, whoever is nominated, though, must be in attendance to uh, accept that nomination. If they're not, then um, that can't happen. Now, if there is a contestant election, um, we have a phone number and we have a couple of volunteers who are going to tally uh, those votes uh, during lunch. We'll be giving out the phone number in a little bit, and I will also send that to those people who are registered members for the convention by email. So you have that. Um, maybe I'll talk a little bit more about in more detail about those procedures if we do indeed have a um, contested election. I'll say uh, one other thing about contested elections. Uh, if there is a contested election, as we go through, uh, you know, our four or five people, we will ask each of the people, each of the individuals uh, who have been um, placed in nomination, if they plan on uh, putting their names in, uh, uh, putting their names up for any of the subsequent posts. Um, if they say no, then we'll do those subsequent posts. We'll get through the um, uncontested ones before we come back to the contested election. We sort of scratched our heads a little bit on how to do that, given that we have to do all of this remotely. So that said, I'm going to ask first Vice President Frank Ventura uh, to um, conduct the election of the president. Frank. Uh, I'm first going to call, we heard the name of David Kingsbay placed in nomination by a nominating committee. I'd like at this time to call for any nominations from the floor, and I will pause for a moment to allow that to happen. Okay, this is a second call for nominations from the floor, and I'll count it off in my head as well. And this is the third and final call for any nominations from the floor, and if Jeanette and Tim could make sure there's no hands raised. No hands. In that case, I'd like to close nominations. Move the nominations be closed and David Kingsbury be elected by acclamation as president. For Do I have a second? Second. Mary Heroy. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Aye. Aye. Any abstentions? Uh, based on a voice vote, I believe that David has been elected by acclamation. Thank you, David. Thank you, but we'll we'll sort of have acceptance speeches, I think, after lunch by all of the people who um, were elected. So I'm going to continue on now. So uh, for first vice president, the name of uh, Sharon Strakowski was placed in nomination by the nominating committee. Uh, are there any nominations from the floor? I nominate Frank Ventura. Okay, we have one nomination from the floor. Um, are there any other nominations from the floor? Final call. Are there any other nominations from the floor? I move the nominations be closed. Do we have a second? Okay. Second. Okay, so we have two. Uh, we have a contested election. We have um, two people who have been nominated. As I said earlier, I'm going to ask each, each person that if you lose, uh, you know, if you lose the election, do you plan on putting your name in nomination for one of the remaining positions? Sharon, I will ask you first. I do not plan to go for any other position. Thank you. 
Okay, Frank? I do not. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to proceed with the remaining elections. And uh, now if one of the next three is not done by acclamation, then we'll have to do one election during lunch, and then we'll have to sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, rearrange the schedule a bit for the second one. David, so go- yes. I thought you said we were going to let um, people speak on behalf of the contested people, even though we're not doing the elections yet. That's what, what we'll we do, talked what about we'll do. in the... Right. What we'll do is let's go through the the remaining ones, see if any are non-contested, and then we'll come back to that. But thank you for reminding me of that. Okay. So, so um, for second vice president, the name of Cheryl Cummings has been placed in nomination by the nominating committee. Are there any nominations from the floor for second vice president? Are there any nominations from the floor? Last call. Any nominations from the floor for position of second vice president? Move that nominations be closed and that Cheryl Cummings be elected by acclamation as second vice president. I second. Oh, you oh, you do, huh? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's called Nick. That's called nepotism, but I think there sure is. There's nothing says we can't do that in the Constitution. Nope. So, uh, okay. Well, all if of those really in favor. Worried, I'll second. No, no, nobody's nobody's worried. All of those in favor on voting by acclamation for Cheryl, the second vice president, please say aye. 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 Opposed. Abstentions. Congratulations, Cheryl. And again, we'll have our little acceptance speeches um, after lunch. Secretary, we have the name of James Gleason placed in nomination by the nominating committee. Are there any nominations from the floor for secretary? David, this is Nina. Um, I don't have a nomination, but my question is, is Jim present today i, I didn't am see not him seeing earlier. him on the list and i, I didn't think if you I, I am here okay oh, all right james is here okay okay sorry i didn't see him before so that's why uh, i was asking uh that is are, very are you under a phone number jim are yes. you under a phone number he came no, I'm, in not. His... I'm, I'm under my own name yes okay all right okay i'll find you we went through the one round of any nominations from the floor Second round. Any nominations from the floor for position of secretary? Last call. Any nominations from the floor? Will the nominations be closed and James Gleason be elected by acclamation as secretary? Second. Second. Okay. All of those in favor? Say aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? Congratulations, James, and welcome, welcome on board. Okay. Um, last position is uh, Treasurer Nick Corbett has been placed in nomination uh, by the nominating committee. Do we have any other 
uh, nominations from the floor. Any nominations from the floor? Last call. Any nominations from the floor for position of treasurer? Move the nominations be closed and Nick Corbett be elected as treasurer. Second. I second it. <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions. Congratulations, Nick, if you're there on uh, the call. I haven't gone down through the list in a while. If he's not there, it's because he's busy adding up all of our numbers. <laughs> yeah, and just to clarify, all of these people, remember, were accepted these nominations. If somebody's nominated from the floor, that's different. You need to find out if they are willing to run. But all these people accepted nomination when they were from the nominating committee. So that's all taken care of anyway. Okay, he's, I, he's been in and out all morning. So yeah, that's okay. We're not worried about it. I suspected that was the case when the question was asked about uh, James earlier. Yeah. But um, yep. um, I didn't want to preempt our constitutional scholar and uh, resident historian and so many other things. And my thank fault, you, David, you. I was looking for him under Jim and he was under James. So oh, I missed him. Yeah. There you okay. Go. All right. Anyway. Uh, so uh, if, if Brian is available, uh, are you there, Brian? I am indeed. So we have a contested election for the position of, first vice president and could you explain a little bit what the procedures are going to be yes simply we're going to hear for two minutes from each candidate they may either speak for themselves or assign somebody that responsibility and then we will give everybody a phone number which they will be asked to call during the course of the next 45 minutes we ask you to call. You'll get uh, Carl Richardson's voice answering and inviting you to cast your vote. To cast your vote, you must do two things. One, identify yourself by name so that we can check that you have the authority to have a vote. And to do so, you must be a registered attendee of today's convention. Then, you, after giving your name, you give the name of the candidate for whom you wish to cast your vote. Uh, we will, after the designated time, have our volunteers who don't know any of us go through listening to those voice mails and tally the result. They will in turn contact me and give me the results, which I will pass on to David, who will be the presiding officer following lunch. We expect it will be immediately following lunch, but not knowing how many votes are going to have to be listened to, we'll have to play that a bit by ear. Quick so question, Brian. Yes. Uh, can a person do a, can I call in and you do it the same thing? Can we do a combined phone call where Kathy is registered and I can call in both our, my vote and her vote on one phone call? Yes. Okay. As long as you each identify yourself and each give your individual vote. Right. Well, I'll, I'll probably be doing the call, but I will give her name and uh, her vote. So I have a question. So Go should ahead. I infer that the two volunteers have a list of convention attendees? Yes, they have been provided with a list of registered members who are also registered attendants at the convention. Okay. 
so, uh, we so David, s- clarification. Yes. Is it okay if Chris states Kathy's preference or does she need to call in separately? I th- no, I think Chris can do it. I think that's fine. okay. I think that's fine. Um, All right. If they have a disagreement, hey, that's their problem. <laughs> okay. So, um, who who is going to be our timer on the two minutes? I just uh, want to know about that. Okay. Well, I'm going to do. I'm just going to ask my little Siri. I have a here. stopwatch right here. If you'd like me to do it, David, if that's easier. Okay. Otherwise, why don't you? Yeah, okay. go for it, Kim. Okay. So I'm going to ask uh, Sharon. First, Sharon, do you want to speak on your behalf? Would you like someone else to speak on your behalf? I'll speak on my behalf. Thank you. Okay. Thank Go you. ahead, Sharon. All right. Well, um, it is my honor to be nominated for this position of first vice president. Uh, I have been involved in Bay State Council of the Blind for a long time. And most recently as chapter president for Central Mass Chapter. And as such, I've had the opportunity to be on many of the board calls in the last couple of years so that I've gotten to know kind of the procedures and the background of the organization. And what's really impressed me is the teamwork that goes on on the board and in the committees. That takes effort and it takes organization. And I think that's where I come in. I am a good organizer. I like to get things done. And somehow I have a way, I believe, of helping other people to get things done. I enjoy people. I enjoy listening to people and helping them where I can. And I think those, that combination of organization and empathy are the two strengths that I bring. I would be the first to say that I am not a visionary in the sense of knowing exactly where we should go next in Bay State. But my role, I believe, would be to assist David as our president and everyone else in leadership and in the membership to do what needs to be done and to keep us solvent, to keep us friendly with each other, and to keep things moving. I look forward to the opportunity to serve. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, Frank and um, Kim, you David? can let. Okay. Yes, Frank. Uh, it's yes. customary in both. I'm sorry. Good. It's customary in both ACB and BSCB for sitting officers not to speak on their behalf or on behalf of someone else. So, with that in mind, I'm going to uh, ask that Miss Jeanette Kutash speak on my behalf, if that's okay with you. That is uh, fine. Why don't you, Kim, say when the time clock starts? I am speaking on behalf of Frank Ventura, who is honored to be running for the position of first vice president. Frank joined ACB and BSCB in 2006. In 2013, he was the recipient of the prestigious Derwood K. McDaniel ACB National Leadership Award, and he has served on the DKM National Committee since 2013. He has mentored the well-known and well-respected Anthony Corona. He was elected to BSCB board in 2009, has served as a director for seven years, first vice president for a year, and second vice president for five years. He single-handedly began, has 
continued to uh, run and promote the Boston chapter of Bay State. It continues to flourish, and our membership is increasing each year. He has a unique ability to present alternative viewpoints. He takes the time to fact-check statements and weed out the truth from the nonsense jargon. He is not afraid to present views which may be different from those who tow the party line. He's a good listener. He's an excellent motivator. In my opinion, Frank is the best and most qualified candidate who should be elected for this position. And I urge all of you to vote for him. I strongly support him for first vice president candidate. Okay. Thank you, Jeanette. Um, Brian, if you could read people the phone number. Now, I'm trying to send also an email for those of you who are uh, near your computers. They will also have the email. And again, it will repeat to you that when you do call, you will leave a voicemail. Very short. You will say what your name is. Please spell your name. And then you will say clearly your choice, Sharon or Frank. Okay, just that information. Keep it short, please. Yeah, this is uh, Dr. Boucher here. <clears throat> is that uh, first vice president? Is that the only opposition? Uh, pre- yes. Office? Yes. And we, we're going to call a certain number to um, pass our ballot? That, that's yep. correct. Uh, let me give that number again, because it just happens to be in front of me. And I just want to double check that the number I'm emailing you is the right one. And that was 857-302-2817. And again, uh, let, let it go to voicemail, say your name, spell your name, uh, and say who you are, um, who you want to vote for. End of story. Keep it short and sweet. Again, I'm sending this as an email to everybody. Some of you uh, may be getting this who are not um, registered. Hopefully, you know you are not. Um, What time will this take place? This will now be this will take place now. Please do it immediately. We're going to try to start up again at one o'clock. So um, we'll end the meeting now and we'll come back in at uh, one o'clock. If our um, vote tallyers aren't finished, you know, we'll start the meeting with those people accepting who have already, um, you know, who already been elected. And when the votes are finalized, we'll uh, get to those. So you can call that number right now. Pass out Jerry, yes, Jerry. Yeah, you're okay, going to call right. the number. You're going to do a voice message saying uh, your name, spell your name, and then who your choice is. That's all. Let it go to voicemail. Okay. All right, Tim, I'll see you shortly. All right. Have a a good vote. Have a good election. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very good.